Well, people don't normally or usually associate October 31st with the Reformation. We have become so thoroughly enculturated that we celebrate paganism and askew Christianity. We have taught our children well. After all, we don't want to be extreme in the practice of our faith, now do we? The same has happened with Christmas. It's more about the glitter in the presence than it is about the nativity of Christ and what that means. That's why most Protestant churches do not have Christmas Day services. The secular holiday has replaced worship. It's more important to open presents, eat nice breakfasts, and prepare an afternoon meal. Now, if I'm stepping on any toes, I want you to realize this. I'm stepping on my own first. And if I have any room left to step on yours, then you'll have to forgive me. However, there is another day associated with October 31st that Protestants never think about. It's not on our radar at all. That day is November 1st, All Saints Day. Originally, All Saints Day was kept to remember the saints of the church. And it was celebrated on November 1st. And it is celebrated on November 1st. Then they inaugurated All Souls Day. And uh, it occurs on November the 2nd to remember all the souls of the faithful departed. Now, October 31st is All Hallows, Le- all Hallows Eve. That is, uh, hallow is, is, is holy. It's All Hallows Eve. And it became, so it was pronounced in English, all hollow or hollow even, which was contracted contracted into Halloween. So even the word that we use reminds us um, that that day, October thirty first, is associated with the remembrance of the departed. Well, there's a lot of tradition associated with that, and. I don't want to give any attention to it. However, because of all the tradition, there is a biblical theme that is often overlooked. The Bible does call us to remember. We are to remember God. We read that in Deuteronomy. We are to remember the fathers of our faith. The book of Hebrews points that out in Hebrews 11. We are to remember, or we should remember, those who are imprisoned for the faith. We're told to remember those who are in prison, right in the passage we've read. We're to remember them as though in prison with them. We're also to remember those who spoke the word of God to us, and we are to emulate their faith. There is one memorial that we we observe regularly in this church, and that is the Lord's Supper. We're commanded to observe that too. But this morning I want us to just think about this. I want us to think about these points. Let us remember God. Let us remember the fathers of the faith. Let us remember those imprisoned for the faith. And let us remember those who spoke the word of God to us that we might emulate their faith. So then, first of all, let's think about remembering God. 
That seems odd, doesn't it? That God would tell His people to remember Him, but in fact, they forgot Him. They turned to worship other gods before they even got, even got into the promised land. They were worshiping the golden calf. So we do forget God. In fact, I think we all forget God at some point. Amen. But Deuteronomy calls us to, re- to remember our God. The Apostle Paul tells us that Deuteronomy wasn't just written for the people of Israel. He says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So he's talking about what was written in earlier times in the Scriptures because they give us hope. Now, why do we do that? Well, look at Psalm 143. Turn back with me to Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me. In your righteousness enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me to know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me and let on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. I just want to draw your attention to verses 4 and 5. The psalmist is evidently going through some difficulties. The enemy is pursuing his soul, as he describes. And that could be any kind of situation. It's not specific here. It's just generally stated that he feels this way. He's, he's feeling under, under a lot of pressure, maybe under a lot of oppression. Maybe he just feels the struggles of life are catching up with him or weighting him down. But he says in verse four or 5 and 6, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like parched land. 
He's remembering the days of old when he, re- he remembers the works of God. He meditates on them. And it's in that context of meditating on what God has done for His people, remembering what God has done for His people, that He, he again turns back to God and begins to pray that God will deliver Him from those who are afflicting Him. So remember your God because there are going to be days that are really hard. Life is not easy for anybody. It's not easy for our young children. It's not easy for me. I'm, well, I'm an old children. (laughs) Really, it's not. Life is hard. But we need to remember the Lord. Remember His works. When we take the Lord's Supper, it is done in remembrance of what God in Christ has done for us. Think of what the Lord's Supper brings to our remembrance. Well, it reminds us that our sins are forgiven in Christ. It reminds us of the unity of the body of Christ, that we're all one. It reminds us of Christ dying in our place. It reminds us both of God's grace and His wrath. But it also reminds us of his, the greatness of His love. Paul tells us that in Romans 5. He tells us that when he uh, writes about the love of God being poured out. For while we were yet... God demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And with that kind of great love, what else will God withhold from us? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. And so yes, when we're going through trials, when we're going through difficulties, when life gets really hard, think about what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Meditate on His great work of salvation in Christ Because as you do so, you'll find that your loving Father has provided for the greatest need that you have. And He will take care of you in the the midst of all your struggles. So remember our God. Secondly, let us remember the fathers of the faith. Now, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, goes through what some people call the hall, the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame, the hall of faith. And uh, why, why does he do that? Well, if you look back at the uh, end of chapter 10, he's been admonishing the readers of the epistle to to persevere in the midst of struggles. Persevere. Don't give up. And he tells them, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their, or, and preserve their souls. And then he goes on to talk about faith. Well, what is faith? Well, it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Uh, By it, the people of old received their commendation. And by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was made out of 
things that are not seen. So what is faith? Faith is believing what God says. Where do we learn that God created the world? In the Scriptures. And so, like Paul says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God or the Word of Christ, depending on what translation you use. But it comes down to the same thing. And then he begins to rehearse the, what we would, what people call the heroes of faith. When we look at them, we think, well, they're not really very good heroes, not very great examples. Well, I mean, Abel is, right? Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice to God, and he did that uh, by faith. And then we read about Abraham, who obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that uh, he was to inherit. He didn't even know where it was. He didn't know where it was going. That's what the writer says in verse 8. And he went by faith in, uh, to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land. And he lived in tents and he had Isaac and Jacob. All these guys were imperfect examples of what it means to walk by faith. Abraham said that his wife uh, was his sister to protect himself. He did that not just once, he did it twice. Isaac did that too. I think I don't know if Jacob ever did, but Isaac did the same thing. And so you have these guys, are they perfect? No. But they persevere in faith in what God has said to them. They persevere in what God says in His Word. And the writer says that these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They looked forward to something that they didn't possess. Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. And on and on we see as the writer goes through rehearsing these different, these different people that we call heroes of the faith until he gets right down to the very end. And he says in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Oh, let's see, Gideon. That's right. He's the guy that was standing in a wine press to... Uh, to separate the the wheat from the chaff, he was he was threshing, right, in a wine press. Well, that's not a really good place to do it. But he, you know, uh, he probably he was hiding because the enemy was coming in and taking all the grain. Oh, and then we're reminded about Barak, great man of faith. He wouldn't even go fight unless Deborah went with him. <laughs> But the writer says that he was a man of faith. Samson. Oh, Samson. He he, <laughs> he had, was with harlots. He was, you know, married a foreigner. I mean, he was... He was where is the man's faith? And we don't see it. We get a glimpse of it at the end of his life. Yes. When he pulls that... When he pulls those columns down and destroys all those Philistines. What he says was, you know, God avenge my eyes, right? But now think about it. Who was he asking to... He wasn't seeking his own vengeance, was he? He was asking God to take vengeance out for what they had done to him. That was an expression of Samson's faith. At least that's how I understand it. Well, then he goes on, and there's some good examples like David, you know, who... Yeah. And then there's 
Samuel and the prophets, and all those were okay, except for some. And uh, they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I mean, think of Daniel. Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Escaped the power of fire. I keep thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Um, So he goes on through that until he comes to the end and he says... All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They were looking ahead to Christ. They were looking ahead to the promises that God had made. We, we might look at all those and say, well, man, they're kind of cryptic. I don't know, you know, I'm not sure I get them all. But they did. They understood. They might not have understood. They didn't understand as much as we understand, to be sure. But they understood enough to point them forward to a future time when they would share all the blessings that God talks about with us. Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, in chapter 12, the writer says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us remember the fathers of our faith who all pointed to Christ. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thirdly then, let us remember those imprisoned for the faith. Now I got this from Operation World. Around the world, more than 260 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution just for following Jesus. That's one in eight believers worldwide. The numbers are astonishing. But behind each number and statistic, there is a human story. The World Watch List uh, is about those stories. And each year they provide a World Watch List that gives you a glimpse of all the places in the world where Christians are being persecuted. I just want to give you a couple of stories of those who are being persecuted right now. Her name is Tara. At least that's the name in the article. They, do, they have to hide her identity. She's 15 years old and she lives in the same house with her family. But she has been rejected by them because of her faith in Jesus. Nobody in the house talks to her or even allows her to go into the kitchen in case she pollutes the food and water with her unclean faith. She is forced to work as a day laborer just to make ends meet. So she became a Christian and at one point in her life she almost gave up her faith Because of persecution, she says, 
I once tried leaving Jesus, but I felt empty. There is a void in life which I can never fill without Him. I cannot leave Him. And so Operation World, or I think it's what it is, Open Doors actually, they are trying to work to get her into a school, because she can't go to a good school, but to get her into a school where she can graduate and where she can have a place to live and not be treated the way she is. But she's not allowed to talk to anyone in her family. In China, children. Christian children may face the worst persecution in China. The latest regulations forbid anyone under the age of 18 from entering church buildings or participating in church activities. But according to Pastor Jacob, and that's not his real name, these restrictions on young Chinese Christians aren't crushing their faith, but actually making it grow. And so here's his story. From early 2018, we have, we have been pressured from all sides. The Communist Party wants young people to believe that Christianity is a foreign religion and that Western powers are attempting to infiltrate China on the back of religious teaching. Schools have been ordered to use this anti-religious narrative to educate the children. We know of some school teachers who warn children that if they follow Jesus, they may not be allowed to graduate. And this creates a terrible stru- a struggle in young people's hearts. If they admit they follow Jesus, they could lose everything they have worked for. So we've started to talk to the youth about persecution, about standing together in faith, and about how to communicate with each other carefully. But our youth ministry is growing again. And the young people are excited about the possibilities. They are more determined to follow Jesus and have matured much quicker than they used to. They look for creative ways to fellowship together. We often tell our youth how an army of believers around the world prays for us daily and we remind them that God moves powerfully in our lives because of this unseen global family. He's talking about the church worldwide. So that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The writer of Hebrews says that we're to remember those who are imprisoned as though we're imprisoned with them. Well, how can we do that? We can do that by praying. And I have to confess, you know, if I'm stepping on your toes, I'm stepping on mine first. I don't have room really to step on yours. Praying for persecuted Christians around the world, that's something that we need to do. We need to pray. We need to pray that God would not necessarily release them. I've never seen where they ask that they be released released from their prisons or that they that their persecution would be relieved. They ask to be remain faithful and to remain strong. Those are their first prayer requests. Amen. So we should pray with them. Fourthly then, let us remember those who spoke the word of God to us that we might emulate their faith. The writer of Hebrews 
in chapter 2 tells the, uh, the readers of his epistle He says, we must pay closer attention, chapter 2, verse 1, to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received just retribution, he's talking there, I believe, about the law. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God bore, also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Amen. And so, we're to remember those who have preceded us in the faith. Uh, the writer says in chapter 13, verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, this should make the leadership in the church especially, this should bring us to our knees. Because do you emulate my faith? Wow, that's that's a lot. To, that's a lot of weight on on a shoulder to bear. And yet, the writer's talking about the leaders, the leaders of the church. Are we those kind of men that you can remember and emulate our way of life and our faith? <laughs> That just uh, that frightens me when I think about it. Well, there are a variety of ways that we remember those who have spoken the word to us. And there are a variety of ways that we can remember them. Remember their faith. We have the scripture, as I pointed out, in Hebrews chapter 2. We have those who lead us. Hebrews chapter 13. We also have those who have spoken to us in history. Now, when you think about the Reformation, we always think that October 31st is is Reformation Day. But the Reformation did not begin on October 31st. It's true that Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the cathedral, to the chapel door in Wittenberg on October 31st, but that did not begin the Reformation. The Reformation actually started at least 100 years prior to that, a little more actually. And the father or the light of the Reformation was not Luther, it was John Huss of Bohemia, which is modern day Czechoslovakia. Luther wrote this about John Huss. I was overwhelmed with astonishment. And he later wrote, I could not understand for what cause they had burnt so great a man who explained the scriptures with so much gravity and skill. Huss learned from, from John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was an, an Englishman 
who began to talk about Reformation ideas in England. And he remained a priest until he died. I think he died of a stroke. But, and he translated the Bible into English because he believed that the, that the people should have the Bible in their own language. He believed that people could read the Scripture and understand it. They didn't need a priest. They didn't need an intermediary. Did he get into some trouble? Yeah, but not as much as Huss. Wycliffe died, but his, his writings didn't die. And John Huss got a hold of some of his writings, because they all wrote in Latin in those days, so everybody could read Latin, but he got a hold of Wycliffe's writings, and he began to see that he needed to lecture about those kinds of things in, in where he taught. And so he began to lecture on them. But he developed those ideas, and he moved on and on. He's written some, he, read a, he wrote a great book called um, Te Ecclesia, which is about the church, where he denies the papacy, he denies the saints, not that he denies the saints, but he denies the, uh, the veneration of saints. He goes down the list of, of rejecting, and he called for the Roman church to, to repent and to reform its teachings. And he ended up not being listened to. He ended up being killed. They hauled him before the council and... Uh, the authorities put him in chains and they told him to recant his views. And these are his words. I appeal my cause to Jesus Christ, the only judge who is almighty and completely just. In his hands, I plead my cause, not on the basis of false witnesses or erring counsels or erring counsels, but on truth and justice. They burned him at the stake. And before he... Well, they were getting it all ready and setting it on fire. He said, It is for thee that I, that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray thee have mercy on my enemies. He was heard reciting the Psalms as the flames engulfed him. Amen. Now that's a man we can somebody's faith we can we can look at. I just gotta tell you this as an aside. The the phrase cook, cooked his goose that comes from John Huss. His name meant goose, and so they were saying we're gonna cook his goose, and that's where that that's where the idea goes back to John Huss. Amazing how these things come to us. So we have these great Reformation, I want to say men, because those are the ones mostly emphasized, but there were women too that were involved in this. You know, it wasn't just, I mean, the men did all the teaching and the preaching for sure, but the women were standing by their sides. So we have them in our history. But we also have those church members right here and now who have spoken the word to us. We have had Christian education t teachers 
who taught children, young adults and adults. Diana Hunt, Jennifer Takahashi, Lisa and Mike, Micah Hood, Joffrey Swate. They all taught this people in this church. And we have had we have had men to preach the word of God to us. Bill Ward has read sermons. Michael Hood has read sermons. David Skaggs has preached to us on a number of occasions for which we've all received blessings. I've preached here 29 years now. I've been in here in the pulpit. Hopefully it's been... I know that it's, it's always a mixed bag, isn't it? Sometimes it's, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. But in conclusion, I want to just say, well, we should celebrate Reformation Day. And we should. We must not forget those who have gone before us. We must first of all remember God and the wonders He has done. We must remember the fathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and others. We must remember those who were in prison as though, as though we were with them. And finally, we must remember those who have been our teachers. Have all these examples been perfect? No, they have not. What they have been is weak but faithful. Remember them. That is what November 1st and 2nd, and I believe October 31st, are really all about. You see, because we have a rich heritage and we need to cling to it. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for... We thank you for... The saints who have gone before us. We sing that song. It's one that we really, we really love. For all the saints who, I think it's who, uh, in their glory rest, who thee by Jesus before the world confessed. Thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Lord God, help us to remember. And by remembering, help us to live. To live the way they lived, emulating their faith, that we might live to the praise of your glory. And when we die, if it be your will that we die in a peaceful situation, then may we die well. And if it's your will that we die in persecution, then our Father, may we die well. May we die with the words on our mouth that we commit our spirits to you and may you forgive our enemies. Father, we ask you this to the praise of your glory. In Christ's name, amen.